So on the 1st of May, I had a feed of points with past guests in front of the show, Pat O'Reilly, because I was celebrating being off the carnivore diet for April, basically. And myself and Pat, I had a bit of a blowout over a few craft beers, and uh, that was great. But one thing that came out of the wash when we were chatting was he didn't get the whole ego soul thing. He he f- felt or feels like I, I lose him. And I'm not surprised because it's a hard enough thing to kind of conceptualise. But I thought to myself, Jesus, if, if, if he can't understand what I'm talking about, because he listens to pretty much everything that I put out, if not everything, and he's a smart dude, and he knows me, so if he hasn't fully grasped what the hell I'm talking about, then odds are nobody else has, or very few other people have. And that makes perfect sense and confuses me in equal measure. It makes perfect sense because it's it's a notoriously hard thing to do to explain, you know, souls and egos and minds and spirits and, and all these kind of things. But also, on the other hand, then, it's not as though I have this idea and I've tried to explain it. He's come with me on the journey of me trying to figure it out. So on one hand, I can perfectly understand why he doesn't follow me. But on the other hand, not so much. But it has me thinking about kind of clarifying my own thoughts on it. Because as much of as a, as much of a progression as I've felt I've made... I don't think I've ever really even attempted to kind of summarize it in any meaningful sense. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do now. So one thing that stood the test of time is this idea that you, whatever you is, you in its entirety, is made up of at least two component parts, the ego and the soul. Now just to clarify, I'll start with a definition of terms. When I say soul, what I'm talking about is your spirit or your soul or a piece of divinity within you or God inside you or anything along that vein that you hear talking you hear people talking about that's what I'm referring to and in relation to the ego or the mind that's the thinking part of you that's the articulate part of you that's the thing that uses language that's the thing that can speak English the, the way I've conceptualized the the mind is it speaks English and wears a watch. Okay, your, your soul doesn't understand words and it has no appreciation for what time is because time is, to a certain degree, a human construct. I'm not going to get into exactly what time is because it's inextricably linked with space, it's the fabric of the universe and all that jazz. That's another podcast. But in relation to your mind, so your mind and your ego, those two things to me are synonyms. And... I might use different terms. So someone might say spirit, I might say soul. Someone might say mind, I might say ego. And there's 101 different ways that you could use, or sorry, there's 101 different terms that you could use to describe essentially the same phenomenon that I'm trying to describe. And that's fine, so long as we're all in agreement that there are two halves of ourselves. The thinking mind and then the more soulful part. Now, just to flesh that out a little bit more, if the mind or the ego, which are synonymous with each other, same thing, if the mind and the ego, if they deal in language and time, what does the soul deal in? The soul, to me at least, is the domain of feelings or emotions. 
your, your, your gut feeling, like a visceral feeling. Like when you get angry, that's your soul reacting. When you're lost in thought, so when you're thinking, if you're running a story in your head, that's ego. Because the soul, as far as I conceptualise it at least, doesn't understand language, doesn't understand words. Now it does understand narrative. So you can read a book and your, your, your ego is digesting the words on the page. And your, your soul doesn't understand words. So it doesn't understand the word the. It doesn't understand the word and or of or any word in the English language or any other language for that matter. It doesn't, it doesn't understand them at all. But it gets narrative. So it can, it can understand a story, but it can't understand individual words or sentences. At least that's the way that I conceptualise it. And I've mentioned this before, this idea that these two halves are, are not best thought of, but one way of thinking of them is if you consider the soul or the spirit to be yellow and the mind or the ego to be blue, when you combine the two, you get green. When you combine the two things, you get more than a sum of their parts. You don't get a blur between blue and yellow, you get green. Effectively, all green is, is a blur of blue and yellow. But it's a new thing. Another thing I've mentioned ad nauseum at this stage is the difference between knowing something and getting something. And I think that the ego knows things and the soul gets them. So you can have something explained to you by somebody else. I could explain to somebody who can't swim the principles of swimming. I can, exp- I can teach them all about buoyancy. I can think all, teach them all about momentum and kinetic energy and, and all the rest of it. And they'll, they, they'll, they'll know it. They'll know all about the different... I can teach them the breaststroke and the backstroke and all the different other types of threading water and, and whatever else. I can teach them all these things and they'll know it. But they won't get it. In order to get it, somebody needs to throw you into water and have you out of your deck. And to me, so much of us is just ego or just mind. We know it, but we don't get it. And so much of us, we get. We don't have to have it explained to us. We understand it innately. But in order for us to to be successful and and to thrive... We need both. You need to... It, it's it's always preferable to both know something and to get it. But because we don't make that distinction, we never strive for that. And I think in relation to... A lot of talk in relation to kind of mindfulness and meditation, there seems to be a lot of talk around this idea of, of quietening the mind, of reducing the chatter... And there's a lot to be said for that because our egos can get out of control a little bit and they can they just kind of run away with themselves. And I, I think I think that's I think that's a big part of what's happened with the modern world. Our egos have overtaken our soul. So we're not green anymore. I think the I think that the proper state of being for a human birth from for a human being is to be green. But if the if the mind is yellow, let's say, and the soul is blue. We've become yellow with a hint of blue instead of being green. We've become 
lopsided in our being. And another way of conceptualizing the difference between the ego and the soul, or another way of, of viewing how those two phenomena have played out in our society, I think religion is the domain of the soul and science is the domain of the ego. Now, it's an important distinction to make here, I think, at this point, that I am a lover of the scientific method and a despiser, for want of a better term, of organised religion. Now, I have to make a very, very clear distinction here between religion or religious thinking or religious belief or spirituality or soulfulness or whatever whatever term you want to put on on what I'm trying to describe there's a huge difference between genuine spirituality and genuine religion and organized religion when you when you are investigating your own feelings and your own emotions that that's essentially you practicing your religion but when you're being told by somebody, this is the way it is, these are the Ten Commandments, you know, Jesus died for his for your sins, you should never depict Muhammad, you know, don't eat shellfish, do eat pig, but not cow, etc., etc., etc. When when it's organized religion has bastardized spirituality, to put my own kind of language on it. It's stripped it of its essence and it's become a form of control and it's become a power grab and it's become you know you, you want to get into heaven we'll you know donate a couple of acres and we'll give you the fucking wink wink nudge nudge and all will be good with you and the big lad upstairs and to me organized religions are criminal organizations i think that they profit from taking advantage of people. Now again, I have a very Christian-centric thought process in most things because I've been brought up in a, in a Christian environment. We are, to a large degree, products of environments, products of our environments. And I've 100% grown up in Catholic Ireland, which is very much a Christian country, right or wrong. And there's there's good and bad along with that. And I think the fact that we've essentially cut the majority of our ties with the Catholic Church, I think that's an incredibly good thing that we've done. But we've really struggled to replace it with anything. Because nobody really speaks about these type of topics is from, from, what, from what I've been exposed to. Nobody speaks of spirituality or soulfulness or divinity or God or any of these topics outside of an organized religious context. A couple of cults, maybe. <laughs> I've often wondered has Awfully become a cult or is that what it started out to be from the outset? Who knows? Maybe it is. Maybe I'm going to start sleeping with all my listeners, missuses. But on a more serious note, I think that we're, we're lacking something. A void has been left. So there was a space in the human being that organized religions either filled or served 
or massaged. And it gave us a bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. It made us, it made us feel connected, I think. I think it made us feel wholesome. It made us feel unified. And I don't mean together, I mean in, our, in ourselves. I think organised religion, in a sense, does a good job of marrying the soul and the ego. I think organised religion does a good job of putting words to feelings and blending blue and yellow and giving you green. But I also think that it, that they've become corrupted over time. I mean, just to take Christianity, for example, Jesus drove the moneylenders out of the temple and Jesus's story was to, you know, not basically take any more than you need. He was essentially a socialist. And that was the, the message of Christ. That was the, the origins of Christianity, these, these kind of stories. Be good to your fellow man, etc., etc. But 2,000 years later, bishops live in palaces and cathedrals are money collection points. And certainly Catholic priests, whatever about imams and priests and, and different religions, but Catholic priests are essentially above the law, in Ireland at least, and across the world. They can literally rape children and get away with it. And if that's not a bastardization of, of something, I, I don't know what is. But I think that's just corruption. I don't think that's anything to do, anything remotely to do with, with spirituality. That has more to do with the domestication of our species than probably anything else. Because, yes, it was done to us. But as far as I'm concerned, you have to lie down to be walked on. And there was an acceptingness of our spiritual overlords. They didn't take power so much as we gave it to them. Now again, like anything good or bad, things progress through incremental change or incremental steps. So, you know, the, the, the holy man or the priest or whatever it is, had a bit of authority because he understood things more than most people did and then he built on that and he got a little bit more authority and he got a little bit more authority and then it became you know come to me and I'll give you the answers I am the repository of knowledge you don't know I do know there was a distinction made there and that distinction was corrupt from the get-go and I think that, that distinction, that separation of, you know, holy person and regular person, I think that was the, the initial corruption. And it just went terribly wrong from there on to whereby now you've got an institution like the Catholic Church, which is a billion euro corporation that owns 
you know, unimaginable wealth in banks and on land and in people's fucking hearts and minds. And they've gotten good at it over the last 2,000 years. But I think what happens with a lot of organisations, they, they get, it, there's, a, there's an expression and there's an expression too big to fail. We were all told in 2007, 2008 that the banks were too big to fail. And there's an element of that with the Catholic, with, with, with Catholicism essentially, too big to fail. But there's a lesser spoken about phenomenon that things are too big to survive. They became so big and so single-minded and so regimented that they couldn't change with the times and they stagnated and got left behind. And I think that's what's essentially happened to the Catholic Church in what we call the first world, in wealthy, educated countries like Ireland. Like the Catholic Church is fucking thriving where people don't get the education that people like me and you have. And when I say people like me and you, I mean people with access to smartphones. Wealthy, rich people. Wealthy, relatively well-educated people. But in closing on the whole religious end of things, religion is the domain of feelings and emotions and things that we we can't really articulate because they're... They don't overlap in some sense. It's, it's like trying to explain fire to somebody, but only having water to hand to explain it to them. And they, they, they just don't compute. They don't, they don't work. They're, they're not overlapping magisteria. They don't tessellate. There's no crossover or very little crossover. And science then has the opposite problem. It deals in only facts and logic and articulation. It's all, it's all written down. It's all, there's no, there's no feeling to it. There's no emotion to it. All the, all the feeling and emotion has been stripped out of the scientific method. And with good reason. That's what it does. It purposefully goes after any bit of emotion and gets rid of it. That's it. That's its, that's its purpose. And there's, there's an, there's an essential integrity to that. It says that front and centre. We've, 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 the first thing that we've done with this experiment is we've stripped all of the emotion out of it and all of the feelings in it. We're looking at, you know, fact. Not thought, not opinion. What can we prove? And to me at least, you need a bit of both. To me at least, that the right way of being is to incorporate the two modes of being. And I suppose what I'm, what I'm discovering about myself is that a lot of what Off The Lead has striven to do is to, is to find a unifying theory, something that will unify religion and science. And I'm increasingly becoming of the opinion that that's what psychology is. Because psychology isn't a religion, but it's not strictly a science either. It would appear to me to be an attempt, at least, to uh, conjoin the two. 
to take yellow and blue and make green. It would it would appear to me at least to be the closest thing we have to a scientific religion. And I think at twenty minutes I'm going to close on this. What I'm what I'm working what I'm working on at the minute is the idea that psychology is essentially a form of religion that uses the the scientific method. It's essentially a scientific religion. That's what I'm becoming increasingly convinced of, that psychology is our best attempt of marrying science and religion. And on that note, I'll chat to you soon.